audio check. On this episode, we bring back Dr. Mike Corvino from Core Consult RX, and we talk BCPS. Hope you enjoy. All right, so the how does Joe Rogan do it? He's he's like three, two, one, and we're live. Yep. Right. Nailed it. Yep. Nailed it. You, cool. I, honestly, I thought I thought I was talking to Joe Rogan. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I'm trying to channel my inner Joe Rogan there to get this podcast going. So um, we have on the show today, Dr. Mike Corvino. Uh, we're, we're diving into BCPS. Uh, for anyone that might not know you for whatever weird reason, if you want to just tell us a little bit about you. I'm a clinical pharmacist for um, a FQHC called Federal Healthcare Network, um, and I'm actually there as of right now. I'm like their pharmacy director, and I definitely have more of a passion for like the clinical side of things and working directly with patients. But um, I am the acting director right now, so I'm doing splitting my time between clinic and doing like admin nonsense. Yeah. So doing that, um, I also uh, teach pharmacotherapy, uh, pharmacology for. PA school. So I teach all of their pharmacology curriculum. Um, and they, so they have an entire year of didactic and then a year of clinical. So that whole first year I teach them and then I get a whole fresh group the next year. And, uh, also do a podcast and social media platform where I do a lot of, um, evidence-based medicine education, things like that. Um, called core consult RX. And, uh, so yeah, a little bit of everything. That's crazy, man. You're the pharmacy director now at that place. Yeah, I don't think I told you that, but so <laughs> kind of. So yeah, I uh, I'm kind of I'm kind of the director until they find someone that's just way better at it than me. Well, I mean, our government has like a bunch of acting deputies and like in positions running the government. So I mean, it, it sounds like it's pretty much the same with you. You're just, yeah, I feel like I feel like I'm a pharmacy ambassador, if you will. <laughs> there so. you go. It's hilarious. But yeah, no, it's it's good. It's a good experience, if nothing else. So um. What I'm excited, the reason I'm excited actually to have you on to talk about this particular topic is because normally when you see someone that has like all these letters after their name, they, you know, from they, from the outset were a clinician where they did a residency, PGY1, PGY2, potentially PGY3, then got there like all these letters, um, you know, you know, research right off the bat, all this kind of stuff. But you took a completely different like route towards that. Um, and I think that's something that I'm excited to kind of highlight. And then um, also just to show people that like there's no real only way to get to something like what you're doing. Um, so but before we also kind of talk about kind of your untraditional path, I guess, what are the actual like requirements to take the PC, the BCPS exam? So BCPS, you have to either have uh, a year's worth of residency, um, and then um, if you don't do residency, you have to be a PharmD for three years at least and work in, uh, they, they have a whole list of like what they, you know, kind of figure someone that you know, it would be acting pharmacotherapy specialist would do. So they have like all these guidelines and different things in the, uh, um, on their websites, like, um, you know, objectives or whatever they call it. And, uh, you basically have to be able to show that you have the knowledge in various different, um, 
disease states with direct patient care, uh, knowledge of like setting up clinical trials, uh, things like that. And so they just changed it this year, actually, to where if you didn't do a residency, uh, not only do you have to have three years, but you also have to have like your supervisor um, write a like a letter of recommendation almost Interesting. that says that you are active, like those three years w- was consistent, you know, with the specifications that the, you know, BCPS um, would would uh, would hold so like um, they have to say like yes there he's doing he's working with diabetes patients he's working in clinic with you know X Y and Z um, whatever the case may be and so they actually have to like vouch for you whereas before up until this year it was kind of like on the honor system and I guess they figured you know if you couldn't if you if you weren't being sincere you wouldn't be able to pass the test so mm-hmm. um, but yeah this year you have to in, in going forward you have to actually have your supervisor uh, vouch for you. And then what is like the, like, let's just say you meet some of those, those minimum requirements that's listed there. Is it like a, like, what's the registration like after that? Is it a guaranteed, like, okay, if you have, you know, you know, these check marks off of this check boxes for you to like qualify to sit for the test, is it like guaranteed that you can then sit for the test? No, I don't think it's ever guaranteed. Um, I, I would say after residency, it's probably guaranteed. But even so, I actually applied to take the BCPS last year, and so I got that in 2018. So that went into effect before the the rules changed, where I had to have a supervisor, you know, write the letter of rec. And so when I went through the application process, which was like you have to upload your, you know, your CV, you got to upload your license, you got to, you know, discuss like what you've done and kind of all that, you know, jazz. Um, they so I turned in my application. I'm just sitting around waiting for the email back. I'm thinking like, you know, good to go. I get this email back, and they were just like, yeah. So we noticed you didn't have that whole residency thing. Why should we? <laughs> <laughs> why should we let you take take the exam? And I had to like write them like this four page love letter about pharmacy to like explain like why I thought I was worthy to take the exam kind of thing. So um, after that, I wrote I listed everything I you know had done this that and the other um, teaching and all that. And then after that, I got the all clear to pick a test date. Hmm. And I had to pay the seven hundred dollars or whatever it is before they even said. It was okay. So uh, I I still don't really know. I was afraid to look, but I still don't even know if like they had denied me. I'm like, I don't think I would have got that money back. <laughs> but wow. wait, so just to so just to apply, you have to you have to pay the seven hundred dollar right deposit yeah. or whatever? Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I think, you know, again, most people who are taking this, I feel like probably have had a residency, so it's not that big a deal. Mm-hmm. But for me, I was like, oof. And it's because so, you my, you came out of you were com- you were in community pharmacy before. Like, so give Correct. us give us a little bit of background. It's like what you did before taking that, that so exam. I, so I started uh, right out of pharmacy school working for Walgreens. And um, I ended up probably three months after I graduated, um, something along those lines. I ended up getting a pharmacy manager position uh, at a fairly busy store. And um, one of the things that I kind of always had said, like during pharmacy school, was I, I knew I was going to go the retail route, but I also knew that I didn't want to kind of be stuck there, like so many people talk about. And and so I basically said I'm going to do this for a little bit because I, I liked retail and, and you know I like the pace of it and all that. But I also said that like if I ever become unhappy with it even slightly, I'm going to jump ship. And so um, I kind of was setting myself up for making that transition. And, and in fact, the first time we ever did a podcast together, 
earlier, I was talking about um, MTM. This is back in like 2017 now. Mm-hmm. But I was talking about MTM and things, and I said that I kind of use that as my uh, practice, if you will, um, to doing direct patient care. And so I started doing a lot of it on my own, um, whether it was like staying late from work or like coming in. I even went in on my days off some, uh, went on some weekends, things like that, and was like going through out- outcomes in Marixa and looking for claims and doing CMRs over the phone, things like that. And, um, eventually my, uh, my district manager at the time, um, saw that it was beneficial. And so she kind of asked me if, if, Hey, if, you know, if you, if we cover your shift once a week or twice a week and have a pharmacist come in and cover your shift, if we set up an office for you, um, would you be willing to do MTM? And I was like, yes, for sure. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I started doing that, uh, and I ended up more, like overseeing kind of like the MTM for about it was something around 80 different Walgreens. And, um, so basically the whole state of South Carolina I was covering and, um, you were killing it, did a ton of outcomes in Marixa and yeah, it went from there to, again, like I started to get like, I don't, and I definitely not burned out, but it was basically, I had accomplished everything I wanted to do in retail. And so I started to feel like I was just kind of going through the motions. And as soon as I started feeling like that, um, I started looking and where my current job now contacted me actually. And, uh, uh the rest is, the rest is history. So when did you kind of know that you wanted to be, cause I mean, I feel like since we met it's simple, which was about three years ago now almost, which is crazy to also think about, but, um, yeah. You, it seemed like you always like your path was different, but it was always geared towards being like an expert clinician. Whereas I think, you know, which is highly different to me because that was never a true goal of mine where I was like, yeah, I'm going to be like the guy to come to for like, like clinical questions. Like it's just not me. So like, <laughs> how did you know that that was like, or when I guess did you know that like that was going to be your route where you really wanted to like be that expert clinician? probably my, some of my third year, definitely my fourth year. Um, I started realizing that I genuinely just enjoyed the clinical aspect of, of pharmacy. And so going through school, like I was by no means like a stellar student. Like I, I, the didactic portion of pharmacy school was miserable for me. Um, I, I don't do well sitting in a classroom environment. And so I wasn't like I was on nobody's radar as far as being like successful or anything like that. <laughs> and so, you know, when I got to fourth year though, it, you know, I'm a very kinetic learner and I, I just, I mean, from like day one of my rotations, I've like loved it. And, uh, I, I just volunteered for every single topic discussion, every single journal club, every single like thing I could possibly do at every rotation, um, to keep learning. And I just snowballed and from there and, and I still, again, like I hadn't really set myself up for residency, nor did I necessarily want one. Um, and by no means am I advocating for that for everybody by any, by any stretch of the imagination. I just kind of knew what I wanted to do ahead of time. And so I just went for it. It would probably would have been a lot easier if I had done the residency route, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think looking back, I have zero regrets about it. And I I just kind of, I knew I was going to do something clinical. I just knew I was going to have to work my face off in order to get there because of the lack of residency. Yeah. All right. So a little bit back to the exam. So how long did, do you think, you know, when you decided that you were going to take that exam, um, how long did you study for? And I guess what like materials and like, what did you do to actually study for it? Okay. So, uh, BCPS, when I took, I took that last year and 
to be completely honest, so I got, I was real cocky going into that, you know, into that exam. So I really, I actually didn't study really anything for that because I was actively teaching PA school and you know, for the pharmacotherapy aspect for PA school. So, I mean, I was going and I teach every section. So it's not like, like in pharma school, like in pharmacotherapy, we had an expert come in, you know, for every single different type, you know, topic. Whereas in PA school, they, they don't have that, at least at the school that I teach at. So uh, I taught every, so I had to like constantly keep up with my stuff, you know, information and constantly update my slides, constantly update my, you know, everything, my own knowledge. And so I went in there thinking like, you know, this is, I mean, how hard could this thing be, you know, yada, yada. I, you'd have thought I'd have done like a practice test or something like an intelligent human being, but no, I just <laughs> went in like real, real full of my own abilities. And, uh, I, I walked in and I remember like the very first, um, question was, and this isn't exact, you know, but it was something along the lines of like, if the person has, you know, genotype three hepatitis C with cirrhosis and ascites, you know, what's the, what's the optimal treatment and the duration and all this. And I was just like, Oh my God, <laughs> this is, and so it was super in depth, um, and a lot more, you know, nitty gritty than I thought. Um, and a lot of the statistics stuff that was on there, like, you know, I wasn't, um, super comfortable with a lot of, especially like the setting up clinical trials and things. I can do the stats pretty well, but this setting up the clinical trials and which organizations to go through for, you know, whatever process was stuff that I wasn't super comfortable with. So I did pass it, but it wasn't by any means like a stellar performance. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I did fine, but it wasn't like I crushed the test and it was just so easy. So I definitely, in hindsight, I probably should have done more prep or at least, you know, not been so confident, but it, it worked out. So I guess it's fine. But it sounds like because of what you were doing with, um, your other job, essentially with PA school, like that was basically setting you up though to study. Yeah. That was my study. Like the whole, I mean, I basically studied for it throughout the entire year anyway. So yeah. yeah. And I didn't do any like active, like, okay, I'm going to take this eight weeks and do this program. And I didn't have anything like that, but I I'm constantly studying for it. even now, you know, I, I would feel very comfortable if I had to take it again, right, right this minute. Mm-hmm. Um, just cause I'm constantly having to keep up with everything. And you also had the stuff that you were posting on social media. I mean, that was clearly yeah. like clinical and, work that you had to do. Yeah. And that's, that was the other piece of the puzzle I think is, you know, and that's the whole reason I even started core consult because I I knew that I was going to have to really, really work hard to like keep up with the plan because it's so easy. I mean, and you know, I mean, you get out of pharmacy school, you get a six figure salary. It's easy to get cushy and just kind of, you know, hang out on the weekends, not open up a pharmacotherapy textbook or look through Medscape journal, you know, whatever. And, uh, so I, I knew I had to have some kind of like accountability. And so I started the social media stuff because I, I knew that like, if I started putting out content and people started following it, that I would, I would be, I'm too competitive of a person to like not continue it or to like start let what, what I would interpret as like letting people down by not posting. Mm-hmm. And so I just set that all up as kind of like a way of forcing myself to, to keep, to keep pushing, keep learning. And cause I had to constantly come up with new stuff to put on Instagram and Facebook and all that. And so, yeah, that definitely helped a lot for sure. And then obviously the podcast, like, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. The podcast, we have to keep coming up with new content and, or at least go more in depth with content that we've already done. And so, yeah, constantly researching constantly. I mean, my life for the first, I mean, still does really, but especially for the first couple of years out of school, I mean, it was literally nothing uh, else besides pharmacotherapy, pharmacology. I mean, I didn't do 
really any, I didn't take my first vacation, like true vacation day, um, until 2018. I graduated 2015. And so my first PTO day was in 2018, actually, when we, when you and I and the, the wives went snowboarding together. Yeah. And that was my first like true vacation. Um, all my other PTO days I, I used uh, to be off of work at Walgreens, but then I would go and volunteer at MUSC and go help in lab or help teach, you know, the P1s with something, you know, just to get some experience and be around people that were significantly smarter than me. And uh, so, yeah, it was just constantly focused on that. Yeah. Well, I'm actually speaking of snowboarding. I'm, we're leaving tomorrow morning, like super early for our flight, um, which I, I don't know, know when so, I'm going to post so jealous. this. So uh, Tomorrow's the 12th, which we're flying over. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed that with only, you know, a couple days notice, you couldn't drop everything and come join us, but it's okay. You know, I understand. Listen, yeah, I blame Jen, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> no, we literally decided last week that we were going to go because, um, uh, uh, we were trying to get some time off at a certain time and it just didn't work out with, uh, with my wife's, um, job. So just decided to take the, take the couple days and, and go. But yeah, I mean, it's funny too, because I used to post a lot about, uh, 10 to two, which I, I don't post a lot about it now, even though it's still happening in some form of another, but when I was always posting like hashtag 10 to two, just putting in those extra four hours at night, you were always like doing it. Like you, you never really like posted it technically like always, but like you were all like, if I had to uh, text you about something or whatever, you were always awake grinding, like posting stuff on social media. So um, that work was definitely there that you put in to get to that point. So to, to be ready for yeah. that exam and, and, and the role that you're in now. Those were some, those were some rough couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely, I think both of us were extremely sleep deprived. And so again, not advocating for that necessarily, but I, it just was a necessary evil for where I wanted to go. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now it's different because of the role I'm in now I have, because I don't, I'm not like, res- like stuck at a, at the pharmacy where I'm leaving there at nine um, PM uh, to come, come yeah. to work. It's kind of shifted from more of like a, like a 10 to two to like a, like a nine to one almost. Um, yeah. sometimes like an extra hour of sleep. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> um, but all right. So how, like the actual test itself when you were there for the BCPS, um, how long was it? Like how, is it hours long? Um, is it over, is it yeah, over I, days? Is it broken up into sections? Think, what is it like? I took it, I think it took me maybe four hours, three, three and a half, something like that. Um, I think I, I can't even remember the time limits now, but they give you it's something along the lines of like they give you like the first uh, like hundred and hundred or hundred and fifty questions, something like that. I, I can't even remember the breakdown now. It's just ridiculous. So I just took the second one like not too long ago. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I, the the breakdowns like a certain number of questions you have, and then you get like a thirty minute break if you want it, and then you can you get like the last like seventy five questions or whatever it is. Um, and so I think they give you like five hours total if you want to take it with like a thirty minute break thrown in there. So you got I mean you got plenty of time, um, but it is something that I mean I took my time with it. I didn't usually I take tests fairly quickly, but I was super careful to like go through it and yeah because you didn't study and you freaked out (laughs) right well after that first question i was like well this was this was a dumb idea (laughs) um and then how was it all like multiple choice was there any you know like long format questions where you have to like write paragraphs or anything like that or is it all multiple choice no they're all multiple choice which is good um and i think the some of the questions are definitely fairly long as far as like the information they give you and I think the problem with some of it, some of it, I mean, there's plenty of questions you take and you're like, oh, you obviously know the right answer, like when you look at it. But there's also ones that 
I was reading through it. I'm like, well, I wouldn't do any of these choices. And so like I had to like figure out which one they were trying to get me to pick based on the comorbidities or whatever the case may be. So that was kind of hard. Um, and same, same with like the CDE. There's plenty of like questions going through that one that I was like, I wouldn't choose any of these options. These are terrible options. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you got to do, you know, what they give you. So what do you that mean CE? part of it kind of the CDE, the Certified Diabetes oh, Educator, okay. that one. Gotcha. It was kind of the same thing. I was like, I wouldn't do any of these for my patients, but <laughs> you, you know, pick one. you got to pick one. Gotcha. And how long is the BCPS cert- certification? How long is it valid for? And and uh, are you do you have to do CEs every year? That's extra for it. Yeah. So you can. Uh, I think it's uh, what is it five six years something like that. Um, and uh, it's valid for that long. Maybe it may even be seven years. But um, so you have quite a while. But uh, the CE is requirement in that period of time is like 120 hours. Um, or you have to just take the test again. So I, I think it just kind of depends because I don't log a lot of my my CE that I do um, just because I, I do a lot of it, and especially with work and things like that. Um, I mean, if I were to like pull up the CME um, credit through like even like up to date. I think I've read like it said I'd read like 370 hours on up to date over the last like year or so. And so, I mean, I've done, I do a lot of the CE in, you know, I, I'm probably going to, I think I signed up for um, ASHP's like uh, BCPS recertification courses. So I'll get them as they come out. Mm-hmm. Um, and just for, again, for, I, I use that stuff for my own knowledge and, and all that, but I may end up just taking the test again, instead of worrying about logging all that. Cause I got to keep up with my CE stuff for three different certifications now on top of my yearly nonsense. Yeah. So I, I, don't know. I mean, I know I, yeah. No, I was, was going to say, isn't that, uh, I forgot what the name of the freaking website was, but isn't there a website that keeps track of all of it for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can go on like you you like log it on the website or whatever. And I so I haven't even logged anything yet. Um, and so I haven't even gone through the process. So I really can't even speak to it because I, I mean it can't be that difficult. But it, like right now, if I if I go to the actual you know the BPS website and look, um, it'll say like it has my uh, my certification. So like under BCPS, it'll say like continuing education. And it'll just say zero percent <laughs> like completed. And so as I like complete them, it'll it'll log and just continue until I get to hundred percent, and then I can just pay the money and recertify. But gotcha. I don't know. I, I know people that have just kind of just retake it whenever they need to, to recertify. And I, I think I might go that route because I feel like that that's more like impactful. Like if you can still pass the exam, you know, five to seven years later, I'm like, that's kind of cool. So, yeah, God, I, I just might do that. can't imagine taking that test. It sounds terrible. <laughs> nah, it's, it's really not <laughs> that bad. So why... Why would you say like is your main reason? Because I feel like there's are gonna there's gonna be some people that are a potentially like community pharmacists that you know want to do something more with their career and are thinking about maybe you know sitting for that exam. And I even know there's probably some hospital pharmacists that are maybe working staff or made their way to a clinical p- position where um, it's an option for them to potentially get certified, but not necessarily a requirement by their employer. What advice would you give as to like whether one tell us why you did it like what was your reasoning for yourself and then if someone were to ask you like if they should or should not like what would you tell them? Yeah, so you know, with me it was I agree with a lot of the people that say there's not like a huge benefit in having it. Um, I mean, it doesn't again like it wasn't some magical thing that like okay I have these letters now. It's not like like three weeks before I had the letters I knew way less information. Um, 
you know, I, so a lot of it is, you know, so there's people who say it's all just so that, you know, BSP can make, you know, money and all of a sudden, yeah, which of course, but, um, there's a lot of people that really put a lot of weight into that. And I've always fought against the system as far as like, you know, this is the way you have to do things. If you're going to be successful, I've always just instinctively gone and tried to do the opposite to see if I could beat the system sort of thing. That's just been my, I guess, rebellious nature. And, um, and so I got to a point where I was like, that's stupid. I don't need to take those board certifications. I already know my stuff. I, you know, who cares if I have some letters, but I'm trying to respect both sides. And like, I do understand that there is definitely a lot of people out there who look at that as, you know, a deciding factor on whether they're not, they, they want you to come speak at their event or they want you to come work at their facility, whatever. And so I just figured, you know, what the heck, like I'll play the game and I'll get the, I'll, I'll do it just to show, you know, that I can. Um, and then that way I have the credentials if I need them. And if I never use them, then it's not like it's going to cause me any problems to have them. So mm-hmm. what's the, you know, what's the problem with doing it? So that was kind of my thought process. If I would say, as far as recommending to other people, I just say, be self-aware on what you want to do with your career. If you're happy working at, you know, CVS or wherever, um, you have a zero desire to do anything clinical. One, I would say I, I still would check yourself because I mean, you know, Amazon, all these things are, are starting to happen. You know, I, I definitely think you need to at least have something prepared, but, um, you know, I, I, I just knew what I wanted to eventually do. And I knew that those dumb letters could have potentially get in the way of me doing it. And so I was like, what the heck, you know, I'll yeah. do it. Um, but yeah, I I just think it just depends on what you want to do. I mean, there's plenty of people who are way smarter than I am or way more efficient at their job or whatever, and they don't have the certification. So it's not like it truly means all that much, um, in my opinion, but there's definitely people who disagree and think it means everything. So they love those letters. Yeah. Uh, and so again, I just did it, you know, as kind of a way to play ball if I had to. Um, now the Amcare one was almost like. I just I've met a lot of Amcare pharmacists who who think that you know they're so much better than you know and again this is by no means a blanket statement but I've just met several that kind of think like they are just they they are the all powerful clinical pharmacists you know it comes to like diabetes care and anticoag and all that stuff and so I, I literally for that one it was more of like okay I'm gonna take this just to prove a point and then call it a, <laughs> call, call it a day yeah. So. And that was so. What's the difference? So that's the BCACP, right? That's the one that you just yeah. took and you just and you passed. Yep. Yeah, um, I did. What What is the difference um, between that one and the BCPS? Like, uh, other than just the the name ambulatory care in, in, in it. So it was a, it was more concentrated on um, you know things that you'd see in an ambulatory care setting. So diabetes. Um, hypertension, different cardiovascular stuff was on there. There was a lot of psych, um, you know, things like that. That was uh, anticoag, you know, just that kind of stuff. It was very heavy on that. Um, not there was some, you know, things as far as like setting up clinical trials and, and all that, but not as much as the BCPS. I felt like the BCPS was a lot heavier on like stats and clinical trials and research and that kind of stuff. Um, and the BCPS, I felt like was a little bit more broad, uh, which you know, I, I guess depends on, I, I think it was almost a little bit harder in a way because you, you just had no idea it was going to be on it. And I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of great courses and things, but it's just so broad. It's hard to study for something like that. Um, but, uh, BCACP is a little bit more, um, 
deep, it goes a little bit deeper, but it's a little bit more of a narrow spectrum that it covers, I guess. And usually you, you would do that one after your PGY2 residency. So after you do your, your um, PGY1, which is, you know, very broad general residency, then you would specialize and do your second year of whatever, whether it's going to be psych or am care or whatever. Um, that's usually when you would take the BCACP after that. Gotcha. Now, is the is there requirement? Are the requirements different to sit for the BCACP versus the BCPS? So that one, uh, that one, I had to um, have four years of experience, and I I had to it, because it was in 2019 when I registered. I had to get my um, chief medical officer uh, at the clinic I work for. Um, so she's a pediatrician, uh, but she's she's our acting CMO, and so uh, she wrote. Um, Actually, no, it was our chief quality officer. He was a PA, actually, who I, I directly report to. And that's who I actually, um, like when I'm prescribing and whatnot, I use his, you know, prescriptive authority mm-hmm. um, and things like that. And so he actually wrote the letter for me since I worked directly under him, um, you know, with patient care and all that. And he can actually see, you know, the results that I get with patients. And so I asked him uh, instead of our CMO, just since he sees, you know, what I do on a daily basis. Um, so he wrote a letter and basically just said that in his opinion, he thinks that I'm, uh, I have the knowledge base to be able to sit for the exam and which was good. Cause I didn't have to like write the like love letter myself this time. Like I did the first time around, <laughs> yeah. like explain it. It was a lot more simpler. Um, and they, they accepted it fairly quickly. So it was good. But do you have to t- have the BCPS, um, did you have to take that test? Is that a requirement to take the BCACP or can you, you know, if you have all those other requirements, can you jump straight to just getting that BCACP? Yeah, you can jump straight to this, the specialty one if you want. Gotcha. Yeah. Interesting. You don't have, there's no like that, that part of it's, you can just do The BCPS is just so broad that they let you do that one first if you want to. And I just did it cause I hadn't had four years of experience at the time I took the BCPS. So. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I'm sorry, the uh, ambulatory care. So I did BCPS because I only had three years. I needed three years. That's what I had. So that's what I did. That makes sense. So what other any other certifications or letters you're that's on the radar that you're trying to add soon? <sighs> Man, so I don't. I by no means it'd be really stupid at this point for me to do that. However, <laughs> <laughs> but um, <laughs> but so if I told myself no. And, and I was like, yeah, this is, I'm not going to spend any more money on this stupid test taking. I'm just going to leave it at this. Cause it's like, at this point, like I can't add more letters to my signature even. So it's like not even, no one is even going to know I have another, another thing if I get it. And, um, so I was like, I'm done, but, but I've been actually working with our behavioral health team quite a bit. And, uh, our psychiatrist, our, like our lead psychiatrist has been using me quite a bit now, um, just, and actually seeing patients with him. Um, and I've been managing a lot of the pharmacotherapy with, with the behavioral health team. And I'm really, really starting to love psych. And, uh, I mean, I, I've been, I've been going through like, um, the psychopharmacology institutes program and like going through all their stuff and like all the different, uh, algorithms that the Harvard meds putting out now. And like, just, I mean, reading and studying anything I can get my hands on with psych just cause I'm, I'm really, you know, digging it right now. Yeah. And, uh, I've, was jokingly, you know, brought up to my, the psychiatrist that I work under and was like, yeah, I, and you guess I'll just get board certified in psych. And he was like, that's a thing. And I was like, <laughs> and I was like yeah, this he's like, yeah, let's, he's like, let's do it. I'll write your letter for you. And whatever. And I was like, oh man, don't say that. That's crazy. So, um, I, I don't know. And, and I haven't even looked in the, I assume that I, I haven't looked at all and done any research on that, but 
I would look to see, I, I, they may not even let me without doing a psych residency. Um, I may look into that one though, uh, if possible, if they'll let me, you know, do that one the same way I did with Amcare. Um, that would be the one I would consider doing, but, um, yeah, n nothing that I'm like dead set on doing at this point. It's, that would be more just for fun. I, well, I feel like if there's ever a time to like explore exceptions for taking some, some of these exams, I think you would like fit the bill for a lot of those freaking potential exceptions. So I, I feel like that'd be oh. ridiculous if you can't even sit for it given the type of work that you're doing. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's one of those things that I, I feel like if, I mean, if you, you pay a lot of money and I mean, if you don't know your stuff, I mean, there's plenty of people who, I mean, you can see the pass rates. There's plenty of people who have residencies that don't pass those exams. So, I mean, it's like you, you have to know your stuff. So it's not like you take the exam and I'm, I get certified and I'm just like, cool. And I have no clue about anything to do with psych pharmacotherapy. So it's like, yeah. you know, I, I feel, I feel like if I can get people that are, you know, MDs to, that, you know, are psychiatrists to vouch for me, I can pass it. And again, you know, it's not, I, I don't, see myself working full time and doing nothing but psych, but I would hope that they would at least let me try to take the exam, but you know, it is what it is. We'll see. Makes sense. All right. So, uh, to wrap this up, what, uh, tell us about some interesting podcasts, I guess that you've done recently. I, I saw one of your posts that was like, I think it was like an anesthesiologist, which I, I didn't get to hear it yet, but, um, yeah. sounds, sound really interesting. You know, what's yeah, funny before, um, before I let you go on that. I actually yeah. thought about like when like early I think out of high school like when I was thinking about pharmacy I almost like decided to like was thinking about doing anesthesiology and I was just like there's no shot because I think you had to do like 30 years of school and I was like no I'm not going to do that that's not that's not something I think that sounds great so I'm going to go ahead and be a pharmacist um so <laughs> I'm kind of curious now, now to hear about like what this conversation was like yeah, so um, we had anesthesiologist. His name is David Convasar. He's awesome, awesome guy from Jersey. Um, really cool dude. And uh, he, he, so this is the funny thing is I actually was in the same boat as you. I, I was dead set on anesthesiology through high school and, and early on in uh, undergrad, and then kind of fell into pharmacy from there. Um, and and I was it wasn't so much of a deterrent about the residency length, but I do remember thinking like, man, I'll be I'll be old by the time I get to like actually be an anesthesiologist yeah and then when i'm talking to this guy and he's in his he's a he's a fourth year resident right now and he's about to go into do a fellowship next year um and I, he said he meant i don't know what, what we were talking about but he mentioned his uh the, his date of birth and he's like yeah so you know i was born in 1990 and i was like oh shoot <laughs> <laughs> and so i realized i was like oh my gosh man i'm not because like the way i you know undergrad and you're 20 years old you you 30, 31 seems like so old. Mm -hmm. And now that I am 31, I'm like, I feel like the exact same way I did when I was 21. So I'm like, crap, I totally could have done that. It would have been nothing. Yeah. Like as far as <laughs> like how old, I, how old I was. So that was a really stupid thing. But you know, that wasn't like a, a deterrent for me, but I just do remember thinking like, wow, I was wrong about the whole being old thing. Yeah. I feel, I feel like the exact same way. No, that makes sense. So, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. He, he was awesome. Um, and I, we were actually joking cause, uh, um, he had, I mean, the background on the, like we could see him over the Skype. Um, 
the video and he had like his uh you know his md um the you know degree on the on his wall behind him um and some other stuff and then like right next to that he had like his whole collection of like snapbacks like hats oh nice i I was i made a joke with him about that because i'm like i knew i liked you for a reason (laughs) you know because i cole Cole always gives me a hard time because like on the videos i'll have a snapback on instead of being like all professional looking and uh but no really really super down-to-earth guy but also super smart um yeah really cool really cool dude um, we had, uh, we have, we actually have, uh, um, the director of, um, education from free CE, uh, oh. reached out to us. Um, he's coming on our podcast on the 19th. He's actually driving to Charleston to come be in the podcast. So he'll actually be in, in house live. So that'd be cool. That is cool. Um, when's that happening? We have, uh, that's on the 19th. So a week or so. Cool. Um, and then we have, uh, we have, let's see what else. Um, we're doing a, a, a like a, a thing like a collaboration right now at our clinic with a group called Low Country Street Grocery, um, and basically they're like a mobile grocery slash farmers market type thing. Um, they have this, this bus that they like <laughs> totally like revamped and turned it into like a mobile farmers market, and uh, they bring like you know farm fresh like produce and stuff around to like areas where people wouldn't have access to healthier foods and we're doing a collaboration with them where we have like a new our, our dietitian and their uh, a dietitian that he's actually um I, I think engaged to or dating or something um uh, is from musc and so they're teaching like a nutrition diet class for patients that are like seeing me for diabetes and seeing other um providers that have uh because they have high bmis things like that they get referred to this class so they do a group class and then they get a voucher to go outside and they have they park the bus outside of our clinic and these the patients get to go outside and then shop with our voucher and get all this produce and stuff and get to actually take home all the stuff that we taught them about in the class. And so I've been working with them, you know, cause a lot of the patients are my, my diabetes patients. Mm. And so, um, we're going to have him and, uh, his fiance on the podcast to talk about, you know, nutrition and stuff. Cause that's something we, we don't talk about a whole lot. We always go straight to the pharmacotherapy aspect, yeah. but talking about healthy eating and stuff. So that will be a pretty cool one, I think. Um, so yeah, we've had, we've had a lot of, a lot of cool, um, opportunities and a lot of stuff coming up that I'm excited about too. That's awesome. Yeah. I, w- I literally always tell people, I'm like, listen, if you're on this podcast to get like clinical knowledge, this is not the one, like you need to head over to core consults RX to, to get that <laughs> clinical fix and, uh, clinical reviews and, and knowledge that we don't, we don't do that over here. That's not, <laughs> that's not what we do. We don't here. do that. We talk business. Yeah. son. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Last question. If you had to take yeah. one person out to dinner, uh, they have to be famous, so they have to have a Wikipedia page, and they have to be alive. Who would that be, and why? Oh man, Gary Vaynerchuk. No, no questions <laughs> asked. That makes sense. That makes um, sense. You knew that. You knew that I was going to say that. <laughs> you know what's funny? Um, I I should have known, but I I didn't. But that was that was dumb of me to not know that. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. I would do that in a heartbeat because, um, I, yeah, I, I think all of his advice as far as marketing and brand and, um, content producing, all that stuff is, is, I mean, spot on. I, he, he's never steered me once wrong as far as like, um, strategies and things for, uh, producing content and whatnot. I mean, I, I mean, he's the one that kind of, I followed when I did the Alexa and the podcast and, um, you know, jumping on these different platforms and things. So yeah, I would love to actually sit down and pick his brain. That would be awesome. Yeah. Same. I mean, same strategies. Uh, you know, I think we both listened to him probably for the same duration. Um, and probably the reason we probably even met, I would say. But yeah, he, for sure. He's literally the person that like introduced us like 
Yeah, uh, he doesn't even know it. He, does, he has no idea. <laughs> um, now I feel like I need to tell him. Yeah, exactly. So, well, if you have that dinner, you don't tell me. I'm going to be really upset with you. Yeah, but. <laughs> I'm just going to send you a, send you a picture like, hey, bro, I'm doing the dinner thing with Gary. It's no big deal. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. How can people how can people reach you um, if they want to contact you after the podcast? Yeah. Um, so all the social media platforms from Instagram, Facebook, Medium, YouTube, TikTok, I mean, everything um, is basically uh, core C-O-R consult, um, all one word, because, you know, that's a real clever marketing. Um, <laughs> it's a core, you know, like my last name, yeah, core console RX, all one phrase. So if you look that up on any of those social media platforms, you'll you'll find me. Um you can also email me at mcorvino at coreconsolerx.com. Um, my newest thing that I'm doing, which I'm pretty excited about, is actually uh, I have a texting platform now. So if you send me a text, um, the phone number is area code 415 nine four three six one one six uh you'll get an automated response um with my contact info and um asking you know if you fill out your information it'll automatically add you to my phone book and so i'll send out um mass texts about like drug updates things like that that only my people on my text platform get and so uh you know if they have questions to ask um i'll answer them in real time over text instead of having to wait for me to email you back um so i'm kind of testing it right now, seeing how it goes. But I was surprised at how many people actually signed up for it when I put it out there. Um, so it's pretty cool. I'm really excited about that. Um, but yeah, there's, there's those are the easiest ways to kind of get in touch with me. Well, I immediately need to do this whole texting thing now too then. So uh, when, when this yeah, ends, I'm gonna, uh, we're going to talk about this. So I can my next episode, I'm going to have my text number out so people can do the same. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it's it's a really, really cool platform, especially, yeah, we'll talk later about it, but it's it's awesome. I'm really liking it. Mike, thank you so much for being on the show. Appreciate you. No, thank you, man. Love it. Love being here. Appreciate it. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode. I will include all of Mike's contact information uh, down below in the show notes for anyone that's interested in connecting back with him. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really do appreciate it. Make sure to connect with me on any of your favorite social media platforms. Uh, whether that be Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. Uh, make sure to subscribe if you haven't and leave a rating. I'd love to hear what you thought. And I hope you have a great rest of your day.